Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. ago entitled I Know and I didn't quite get finished with that and we had to have a break and I wanted to wrap that up and give some closure to that that series and what I want to talk about today maybe is not the most exciting topic we've ever talked about to you but if you understood what the Bible teaches about this subject then I think it would become very exciting to you. Because as I study the Bible, if I'm going to help you as believers, what do I need to make sure that you do more than anything else? And that simply is to become connected and committed to a local church. That's the best godly wisdom that I can give you. I know that church matters. It matters to God. It matters to Jesus. It mattered to the disciples, the apostles. And it should matter to us. So the question, does the church really matter to you? Does the church have a huge place in your heart? I'm talking about a huge place. When so many things pull against you, so many things of this world to entice you and to want to pull you in. What about the church? Does it have a huge place in your heart? Have you made the church an absolute priority? In other words, you have all these things in your life that you want to do or that you need to do, that you're being asked to do. But what is the one thing that you, you have to build everything else around? Is it the church? Have you made the church the priority? Josh Harris has written a little book that I picked up the other day in, entitled Stop Dating the Church. And the, the title just grabbed me, and I, 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 I was familiar with Josh Harris, and I wanted to, uh, to read what he had to say because he's right on target. Because let's be honest, with the thousands and thousands of members we have, we have a lot of people who date the church. And some of them are not very consistent daters. They just date once every three to six months. Uh, some come, they only date us at a crisis time. Something falls apart in their life and they're here two or three weeks dating the church. Some come every month. Some come every other Sunday. They're kind of on a little schedule. I don't know if you can remember dating or not, uh, all of you. Uh, dating now is not as big a deal as it was when when we were young. Uh, now they group date they because now they're even less interested in a commitment. They want to just you know drag that out as long as they can and and mooch off their parents as long as they can in today's world. But in my day, we, you know, we dated. And but if you talk to girls, and when I was a 
youth evangelists running around the country. I would have these sessions with the guys and then these sessions with the girls. And the girls were always struggling because they spent all their time and week worrying about, is he going to call? Am I going to have that date? When is that date going to be? And uh, the guys just not getting around to it until the, the last minute. So let me give you some characteristics of a church dater. And when I give these characteristics, hopefully none of it, this is kind of sermon that, that he's not, I'm not talking to you. It's, it's your neighbor. All right. It's your friend. It's not you. Uh, but you might want to tell them about this message. Here is the first one. A church dater is self-centered. I call it meitis. What can my church do for me? What has my church done for me lately? What happens is we look at the church with a consumer mentality because this is the age of the consumer where our lives are full of stuff and we want everything and we want it now. So give me whatever I want at the price of a Sunday morning. I'm going to give you an hour and 20 minutes. You give me whatever I want. And if you don't give me what I want, then I'm going to go somewhere where I can find what I think I want because it is all about me. Now listen to me. When we come to church with the attitude of a consumer, we miss the greatest opportunity of the week to worship the living God with his people. We miss the very thing that we need the most. Because you see, worship begins not with about what we are to receive, but about what we are to give. You come to church not to receive something. You come first to give something to God. You're giving your loyalty, your commitment, yourself, your time, your talents, your tithe. You're bringing it to God. And that's the beginning of worship. God, I bring myself to you. I give myself to you. We dare not put God below us so as to think that he has been made for us rather than we have been made for him. That's what a consumer mentality does. It's all about us. When worship is all about God, God is not a cosmic genie that you rub in a certain way to get your needs and, and even your greeds met. That's not God at all. We don't, wor- listen to me, we don't worship to feel better. We live in this feel good age. And everything is touchy feely and it's all about feelings. Feelings are fickle up and down like a fast yo-yo. The guy at the water fountain who had talking to his girlfriend and had goosebumps, chill bumps, wanted to marry her. Then he realized he had a hole in his styrofoam cup. <laughs> Feelings will fool you. But that's our day. We worship not because we feel good. We worship because it will do us good. Now, we may feel better. Sometimes we feel better. Sometimes we'll feel worse. See, some of you just want to come to church to be built up. Just tell me how wonderful and, and then let me, you know, feel good, then I'll go home. 
the problem is we have to throw out much of the Bible. We can't, let, we can't help you grow up as a Christian because sometimes you need to come to church to get shaken up a little bit and told the truth. And so you have to ask yourself some, some hard questions. So the purpose, we don't worship to feel better. We worship because it will do us good, whether we feel better or not. We worship because God is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. God inhabits the praises of his people. That's why we worship. And that kind of worship is not an option. It is an obligation. The second characteristic of a church dater, aloof, not involved, sitting on the sidelines. Some people actually think that the purpose of coming to church is just to come and sit for an hour and 20 minutes once a week. God didn't save you to sit, did he? Somebody said, God didn't save you to sit, but to get up and get, to do something. Some people sit on a seat for 20 years, never hatch out a thing. They just do nothing. Uninvolved, on the sideline, refusing to invest ourselves. I don't know about you, but I get stacks of mail every week, somebody wanting me to invest in this, that, and the other. It's all junk mail. But you will never invest in anything on this earth more important than the church of the living God. You'll never touch anything more important than God's work. See, we get all confused about what things in this world are important and what what are not important. But biblical worship cannot be done on the sidelines. You cannot sit there and not ever engage because it involves the mind and the heart and thinking and focusing and engaging and listening to God. Worship is not a spectator sport. Church is not a spectator sport. And you get out of it what you put into it. I mean, you come to church today and you walk out the door and say, well, it wasn't much today. You think that's slamming me or slamming the music or slamming the church, it's slamming yourself. Because you get out of it what you put into it. By getting involved, by getting engaged. And I'm so glad our churches over the years we've gotten loose enough that that we feel you in this church you're free to stand, raise your hands, shout hallelujah. I've heard those that twice, I think, but uh Because you want to see people involved. You want to see them engaging. You want to see them worshiping. Because that's why we're here. Third characteristic of a church dater is critical. Uh, Again, nobody in our church would ever be critical. But again, this is for somebody else. This is for a friend or neighbor, somebody you know that could be critical at times. Because church daters tend to be picky. They're quick to find fault. Like today, you know, the music, that, that, those songs about Jesus, incredible. But a church dater would say, it was too loud. It was just too loud. I, not you. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about some other people. But now listen to me. Hear me carefully. Those who continue to date the church probably have never really been saved. 
They've never really made that commitment to Jesus Christ that was life-changing. If that's you, there's no better time than this morning to make sure that you know that you know Jesus Christ lives in your heart. Because let me tell you, when Jesus Christ comes into your heart, when you fall in love with Jesus, the result of that is falling in love with his church. You can't have one without the other. Now, all Christians, all believers are a part of what's called the universal church. And then that's so exciting to to know that when you become a Christian, a believer, you then become joined, you become one with every other believer in the whole world. The universal church. And the amazing thing is, and many of you have traveled as I've traveled to other countries, that you can be in the one of the remote areas of the world and you are sitting down at a table having a meal and fellowshipping and bonding with a family. You can't even speak the language, but there is that common bond. There is that common love. There is that common unity that only Christ in a life can bring. That's the universal church. Some say... That's all anybody needs to be a part of. Oh, I don't go to a local church. I'm not, I didn't join a local church, but I'm a part of the universal church. Some say it this way. I'm a member of the invisible church. What happens when you need an invisible pastor? What happens when you need an invisible teacher? What happens when you need an invisible student ministry? Don't let the devil take you down that road. Today I want to help you understand the importance of the local church and the responsibility that we have to the local church. You see, a a local church is is a visible, tangible, real-world expression of the body of Christ. The local church is where it gets real. You say, well, here's what somebody says. Well, I can make it to heaven without the church. That is possible, perhaps. Unlikely, but possible, because if you really know Christ, you're going to love him, and if you love him, you're going to love the church. But you say, well, I'm going to heaven, but I'm not part of a local church. You can swim to Europe, but it's a long way. And the sharks are bad. I think there's a better way to go. You might could make it to heaven, possibly, without the church. If somehow in your life you, you, you accepted Christ, but you got mixed up with the, the importance of the church, perhaps you could do that. But I'm telling you, you cheat yourself. It's a struggle that you don't want to take alone because you need the church. The church needs you, and you need the church. And again, if you, if you keep finding reasons why you don't need the church, check up because you may not belong to the Savior who loved the church so much he died for it. Keep asking yourself that question because, listen to me, God hardwired you and me for the church. That's why it's ridiculous for you just to come occasionally or to come once a month because God hardwired you for the church. He made you in such a way when he made you and when he made you new when you were born again 
He put inside you a love and a need for the church. It's in your DNA. Church is not just a good idea. It is not just what your pastor thinks. It's not just what your family or friends would like for you to do. Church is God's plan for your life. It's not an option. Listen to what Josh Harris says, and I quote him. When we resist passion and commitment in our relationship with the church, everyone gets cheated out of God's best. We cheat ourselves. We cheat our families. We cheat our community. And we cheat our world. This book teaches that every believer needs to be connected and committed to a Bible-believing local church. And you say, why? And I'm glad you asked, why? Why is it so important? Why is it so imperative? Number one, the church is God's plan for saving the world. He has no plan B. It was the church that Jesus designed as a vehicle to take the message of the gospel to every generation. Christianity is one generation from extinction if we fail to be the church, if we fail to evangelize. That's why evangelism is the first priority of every church. It is our divine assignment. It is God's only plan to save the world. And we get to be a part of that. God's plan to rescue people from their sins. That is the mission and that is the mandate of the church. Jesus set up the church as show and tell for what God does when he changes a life. That's why the church is so important. It's God's plan for saving the world. Secondly, the church is God's greenhouse for growing us up spiritually. There is no better place to grow than the church of God because God set, set up the church as a place where we mature and where we flourish spiritually. It's in the church that we change and we grow and we conform to the image of Christ. And we have others to come alongside us and hold us accountable and encourage us and exhort us as we grow. Listen to me. We cannot grow and thrive spiritually in isolation. God didn't design Christianity to be lived in isolation. We need God and we need each other. We need the church. We need to be surrounded by Christians. The third reason is that the church is where we learn to love God and love one another. God tells us how to live and, and how we are to have relationships and build good relationships. The church is the school of relationships as far as God's concerned. This is where we learn how to get along with one another, all one another's, even irregular one another's, because we're all a part of the same family, and family needs to, to get along. We not only are in this together to get along with each other, we are in this together to encourage each other, to build up each other, to show appreciation to each other. And when one is a crisis, the whole church moves to try to help meet that crisis and minister to that need. 
Lately, I've been at the hospitals as you have. We've had crises in our church and, and deaths. And I get notes and cards from these families who tell me, you cannot imagine. We never realized how important our church family, our Sunday school class, our connection class. We had no idea that we were loved this way. We had no idea that people would do what they're, what they're doing, that people would bring meals every day, that they would be there with a coffee pot. They would be there to meet any need that they could meet. That after the funeral, they would be there to serve a meal for the entire family. That's what church is about. And that's why we need the church and we need each other. And as iron sharpens iron, we learn how to get along and and how to be better at relationships. And the deepest relationships you'll have in your life will come out of the spiritual relationships that you have with God's people in God's church. And what God wants to do, God wants to use all of us working with each other, getting along with each other, learning from each other, so that as a result, we learn to become better husbands, better wives, better moms, better dads, better children, better friends, better neighbors. Because in this school of relationships, we learn the importance of relationships and to know that life is faith, family, and friends. And that's what the church is about. The fourth reason, the church is where we are transformed, being transformed by the truth of God's Word. There is no substitute for this book. This book is our authority. This is our guide. This is our roadmap. And it is from God's word that we learn to worship and to pray and to give and to serve and to care and to minister and to reach out. It is from God's book that we learn to live life, not from an earthly perspective, but from a heavenly perspective. Let me give you the bottom line here. Being involved and engaged in a local Bible-believing church is irreplaceable in the life of a Christian. There is no substitute for it. Now, I'm quick to tell you there's so many wonderful ministries out there, and and I've been blessed by many ministries out there and involved in, in ministries out there, but the church is different from everything else. It's different from a home Bible study. And we have several wonderful home Bible studies in our church. That's a part of what we do. And we have the connection groups, the campus ministry, television programs and parachurch organizations, many wonderful organizations out there. But the church is unique. Yes, we can worship anytime, anywhere, any place, but there is something unique, there is something special, there is something irreplaceable, there is something that God has done to make worshiping together an essential part of our Christian lives. God wired us for corporate worship, for coming together. And when we come together in corporate worship, we sense his presence in a way that we 
never since any other place. It's the Bible calls us the living stones of the temple. That in this place of living stones, God inhabits the praises of his people and we connect with God and we're touched by God and we're changed by God's power in something called the church that is unique and there is nothing like it on earth. Matthew 16, Jesus is talking with his disciples and he asked them two simple, straightforward questions. Number one, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they answered him. In verse 13, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say other prophets. Then he asked the second question. Who do you say that I am? It was Simon Peter who's, who answered for the group. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, you are blessed. You didn't get that by yourself. You didn't just think that up on your own. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. God told you that. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The writers and the pundits and the politicians are all wanting to write the obituary for the church. Almost every week I get some magazine article that tells me the church is over. It's a thing of the past. And the researchers cite the, uh, the, the statistics about fewer and fewer people are going to church. And that is a dangerous trend. And the most dangerous thing, that I, and I made you aware of this several times, is that our, your kids, our Southern Baptist kids, are growing up and going to college and never coming back to church. And so we have to... We have to turn those things around. But Jesus has something to say about the future of the church, something powerful. Jesus says the church is here to stay. The church is sacred and it's secure and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus is saying that the church is a movement It is a divine movement that is unstoppable and a movement that is irreplaceable in the life of a Christian. You see, the church of the living God is not a building. It's not a creed. It is a movement. 
that is alive and growing and will continue until Christ comes back. And you need to understand that. See, see, some of you mistakenly think that the church is just another organization. The church is not an organization. The church is an organism. It is alive. It, that's what the world can't understand, but that's what you understand when you, get, when you get with God and your life is changed. And when you get in here and you feel something you never felt before, and when you worship with God, you, you praise God, and then God inhabits your praises, and God shows up. It's alive. And it's going to always be alive. It's a movement. Victory is guaranteed. We win. The church wins. It's already a done deal. The question is, will we, as this local church, continue to storm the gates of hell? Will we push back the gates? Yes, we're going to win ultimately, but will we run up the score? Will we put dents in the darkness now? Will we devastate the devil now? Will be, will be, we be the church God wants us to be now? I hope we will. Let, let me give you four heavenly metaphors of the church to help you understand how important it is. This is what God calls the church, what is Bible, what the Bible says of the church. Number one, the church is a family. Don't you love that word? A family like no other family on earth. We're family. And to be a member of this family, it's a, it's a community of people, a fellowship of people with one common father. We all have the same heavenly father, and we're all his children. And because we have the same, a common fatherhood, we have a common love, and we have a common purpose, a common bond, a common unity. We don't have to create unity. The unity is in the gospel. We have to be careful to maintain the unity. Because there should be a common unity. That's why churches ought to be sweet and not sour. That's why any church fighting is outside the will of God. Because there is a unity in the gospel. There's a common bond, a common love, a common unity, a common purpose, a common future. See, all the things we have in common as a family. And maybe you didn't have perfect parents. None of us did. But now you have a perfect heavenly father, and you're his child. And you have redeemed brothers and sisters, the family. Second, the church is a body. Ephesians 1, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church was so close to God's heart and so central to his work on earth that what did he do? He calls it the body of Christ. And to be a part of the body means to belong to a living, functioning, serving, witnessing community. The body of Christ becomes the physical manifestation 
of Christ on this earth. That's how important the body of Christ is, the church. We become Christ's mouthpiece. We become his hands. We become his feet. See, he left the church. He designed the church to reach the world for Christ, to love the world to Christ as one body. Thirdly, the church is a temple. Verse 21 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. And then in 1 Peter 2, 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. So heaven sees the church as this magnificent temple of living stones. Living stones. We are the dwelling of God. Not our buildings, but our lives as living stones. Wow. Number four, the church is a bride. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any of any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You see, Paul here quotes from Genesis, and it seems that he is saying that God designed marriage to give us an example of his love for the church. That if you can think of the day you got married and what you felt like when you looked down that aisle and you saw your bride, And now if you have built that marriage God's way, you love your bride today 10 million times more than you did on that day. And you're one with your bride. The church is the bride of Christ. And he loves us. That the only earthly love can compare is a husband loving a wife. But it's a love even deeper than that because it is a perfect love that is unconditional. The bride of Christ. Think of those special words, temple, a body, a bride, a family. God knew how to let us know there is nothing as special as the church. And how much does he love the church? Enough that he's willing to die for the church. As usual, I didn't get where I wanted to get, but I want to wind it up. Listen to me carefully. Acts 20, 28 says, Jesus bought the church with his own blood. Jesus bought the church 
with his own blood. If he loves the church that much, the church deserves the best that I can give it. This morning I remembered something that I read years ago. I think in one of Chuck Swindoll's books, and I think he was quoting Wilbur Reese. But it went something like this, not exactly, but as I remembered it. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. I want to buy a little of the Lord. Not enough to disturb my sleep. Not enough to take control of my life. Not enough to change my heart. Just enough to take to church when I have the time. Just enough to equal a snooze in the sunshine, a glass of warm milk. I would like to purchase a pound of the eternal in a sack, guaranteed or your money back. Just $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to make people see a change in me. Not enough to impose responsibility. Just enough to make folks think I'm okay. Just enough to exhibit on Sunday. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Don't live beneath your privilege as a Christian. Don't settle for anything less than God's church and investing your lives with God's people in God's church for God's glory. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 